Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So, You can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where this morning we broke a really big, important story, exclusive, I guess you could call it. It's based on documents and interviews and text messages, and it documents, it chronicles how Hunter Biden, yes, the son of the president, that globetrotting businessman that we've been writing about a lot over the last three years, how he became involved in a secret slash quiet effort to help a Ukrainian oligarch, not the one who hired him at um, Burisma Holdings, a different oligarch, a man by the name of Dmitry Firtash. Why is that important? It was the Barack Obama, Joe Biden administration in 2014 that indicted Dmitry Firtash, Ukrainian oligarch, Ukrainian businessman, on charges that he engaged in bribery, not in the United States. In fact, not even in Ukraine. They charged him with engaging in bribery in India. It's a very controversial case. In fact, seven years later, Dmitry Firtash has not been extradited to the United States because the Austrian courts, where he's currently living in, under house arrest, um, are, have been suspect of this criminal charge. But nonetheless, he was under indictment from his father's administration when Hunter Biden went to try to help him. And we tell the story of what went on between April and September of 2015. Yes, another intersection of business, politics, corruption, the whole works. Uh, we have it on the front of justthenews.com. And we're going to talk about it a little bit more in a second. But first, a quick reminder, we've got a great guest today the former ambassador of Israel to the United States, Michael Oren. He's got another book out, but we love him for his view of what is going on in the world. We always learn something from him. He, uh, he makes the Middle East uh, so much more understandable. He makes U.S. Israeli and U.S. foreign policy understandable. He breaks things down, and you always walk away with something that you can talk to, talk about at the water cooler, at the dinner table, at the boardroom. Uh, it is uh, always a pleasure. And today, Michael Oren will be joining us uh, in just a few minutes. Now, I want to go back to that Hunter Biden story because it has so much of the detail of why we put in place conflicts of interest rules, conflicts of interest regulations, conflicts of interest red flags to avoid even the appearance that uh, there was a conflict of interest in government. So I want to walk you through the story and the characters real quickly. I think it, it will help you help illuminate the 
the mannerisms, the stylism, the tactics that Hunter Biden did as he kind of moved between business and lobbying and influence peddling and all the different things that were in his orbit. We know about China. We know about Burisma, right? And remember what Joe Biden's own State Department official said. Marie Ivanovich, the former ambassador appointed by Barack Obama to Ukraine, George Kent sent to be the top career guy in the Ukrainian embassy below the ambassador. They both said that Hunter Biden's dealings with Burisma Holdings, a, uh, a company, a gas company in Ukraine that the United States government considered corrupt. Hunter Biden joins the board. He's there during that process. The State Department twice reported they believe Burisma, while Hunter Biden was on the board, made uh, bribery payments. There's no evidence that Hunter Biden himself was involved or even aware of it, but he had a fiduciary responsibility on the board to manage these sort of things. And they both said, Marie Ivanovich, George Kent, many other people I've talked below them in the State Department, they all said the same thing. Hunter Biden's service on the Burisma board at a time when the U.S. government was pursuing Burisma for corruption undercut the entire Obama-Biden administration, the entire United States effort to fight corruption, endemic corruption in the country of Ukraine, a country that's very important to us. It's a neighbor to Russia. It's our best strategic ally in the sphere of influence where Russia and the old Soviet Union reside. Those are the words of people who worked for Joe Biden. They saw it as a conflict of interest. Joe Biden has defended it. Uh, uh, Some people say he has a tin ear to the ethical perceptions that his son created for him and what he allowed to be created during the time he was vice president in charge of Ukraine policy. But now, knowing all that, knowing the State Department saw Hunter Biden's work with um, Burisma Holdings and its owner, the oligarch uh, Zolachevsky, knowing that that was there. Now, consider this. In the middle of that, right about a year after Hunter Biden joins the board at Burisma, and uh, about two years after his, or a little over a year after his father gets the Ukraine portfolio, uh, about a year after the United States Justice Department under Joe Biden, indict Dmitry Firtash, alleging he engaged in a corrupt scheme, a bribery scheme. Now, by the way, uh, Dmitry Firtash strongly uh, protests this indictment and has been able to be successful in securing favorable rulings or delays in Austria, also in Spain, another place where you got a favorable ruling. So there are questions about this indictment, but there aren't, there isn't a question that Dmitry Fertash is under indictment in 2015 when Hunter Biden begins dealing with uh, a group of people, uh, a guy named Haris Yosef, a Syrian born Ukrainian immigrant, a, a businessman former government official, former advisor to Ukrainian President Yushchenko. If you remember Yushchenko, he was the Orange Revolution guy, the guy that Vladimir Putin allegedly poisoned because he was too Western-friendly in his backyard, in Russia's backyard. So Haris Yosef worked as a Middle East advisor for President Yushchenko, a very pro-Western president. And uh, he was a lifelong friend of Dmitry Firtash. And I interviewed Harris Yosef in this story. You can see his own words. And what Harris Yosef said is, yes, I reached out to Hunter Biden. Yes, I reached out to Hunter Biden's business friend, Devin Archer, now a convicted felon. Hunter, uh, while working with Hunter Biden, Devin Archer was indicted for defrauding Indian tribe in the United States. He was convicted 
in 2018. He was he was indicted in 2016, convicted in 2018. Just last fall, the appeals court uh, upheld his conviction. So uh, another reminder of uh, the sort of company that Hunter Biden kept. Devin Archer, his right-hand man on many business deals, not all, but many, uh, is a convicted felon who has been proven by a jury to have committed fraud. So Hunter Biden and Devin Archer are meeting with Harris Yosef, the lifetime friend of the indicted oligarch Dmitry uh, Furtash, and they ask them if they can help try to get some goodwill from the State Department to get the State Department, then under John Kerry, then under Barack Obama, then under Joe Biden, to maybe show some leniency, settle this criminal case, allow uh, Dmitry Furtash, powerful energy-producing oligarch, in Ukraine to come back to his country in the aftermath of the Russian invasion of Crimea in the aftermath of a coup that ousted a uh, Ukrainian president. And they used the vice president's son as an entree point. Eventually, Harris Yosef said Hunter Biden came back and said he couldn't do anything. But there was several weeks and months where the text messages show that another lawyer for Dmitry Furtash, an American by the name of Adam Waldman, very respected lawyer, worked for Bill Clinton, worked for the Bush, uh, former Bush uh, advisor, lawyer, ambassador, Boyd and Gray. So Adam Waldman, very well respected. I've quoted him in several stories, and, and he's been trusted by the government on many matters. Um, uh, Adam Waldman is watching this effort, and eventually, in September of 2015, after Hunter Biden has been involved in this for a little while, Devin Archer is much more involved in it, making contacts, and there are claims that they're meeting with John Kerry, they're meeting with Tony Blinken. I prove that Hunter Biden meets with Tony Blinken, according to records I won in a lawsuit, around the time that uh, uh, they're claiming that they're talking to the State Department about the issue of Dmitry Furtash, perhaps getting him some leniency. Uh, and Adam Waldman writes Harris Yosef, hey, I think this could be a mistake. We might want to stand down. Um, Hunter Biden might, and uh, and his partner, uh, Devin Archer, might need to register as foreign agent lobbyists, given what they're doing. This could backfire. There could be legal issues. We should pull out. And uh, ultimately, Hunter Biden does so. Now, while this is going on, uh, Hunter Biden talks to Harris Yosef about another business opportunity. Devin Archer swoops in and convinces Harris Yosef, the friend of Dmitry Furtash, to invest $3 million in a technology venture that Devin Archer certainly had some role in. Uh, Hunter Biden's role is not clear, other than uh, he was involved in the discussions with Harris Yosef about this technology. Uh, and uh, Harris Yosef makes a $3 million uh, investment in a company called Emblem a company that also got Hawaiian state tax dollars while Hunter Biden and Devin Archer were involved in some way with it. And <clears throat> here we go. He loses nearly all the money. Harris Yosef loses all the money. So Hunter Biden, Devin Archer do some work for this Ukrainian oligarch through Harris Yosef. They don't get paid for it. They eventually say they can't do anything, but they get Harris Yosef to put $3 million into this emblem company. And then the guy loses his money. Uh, the sort of tricky track business dealing that has seemed to follow Hunter Biden or his colleagues on many different matters. You've got the tribe, uh, you've got uh, some of the China deals, a lot of different things. Um, now we know for the first time that Hunter Biden was consorting with associates of, of, of a fugitive oligarch from Ukraine, uh, uh, charged as a felon, 
by his father's administration, and at least for a time, Hunter Biden and his friend, uh, Devin Archer, his business associate, are talking about trying to get him some help. Their, their message is suggesting there are contacts at the State Department. You can read everything. I put everything up, the documents, the emails, the interviews with Adam Waldman, with, with um, uh, uh, Harris Yosef. Unfortunately, Hunter Biden's lawyers, Devin Archer's lawyers didn't engage. I wish they would, and I think we'd learn something from them. But another interesting deal, Hunter Biden circulating around a controversial figure again in Ukraine. No, not Burisma and its owner, Zolchevsky, but the indicted Ukrainian oligarch, Dmitry Firtash. You can get it all at Just the News exclusively. Documents, interviews, all posted, all there for you to see what's going on. Uh, that's the sort of journalism we're proud to do every day. Now, we're also proud to do big interviews. And right after this commercial break, Michael Oren, the former Israeli ambassador to the United States, a man who knows a lot about the Middle East, about U.S. foreign policy. He's joining us for the whole show. You're going to enjoy this. Buckle your seatbelt. We're going to talk about, you ready for this? The influence of China in the Middle East. I bet you haven't been thinking about that, but you better be thinking about it because China is moving into the Middle East in a big way. A lot of people are worried about their intentions in Syria. If Syrians, if the Syrian war ends, will China rebuild it and have this incredible strategic stronghold in the Middle East? These are important questions, and what better person to answer them than the one and only Michael Oren, former Israeli ambassador to the United States all around expert on all things Middle East, right after the commercial break. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, an accomplished diplomat, an accomplished author, an accomplished thinker. I could go on, but you already know him. He's been on the show. The ambassador, Michael Oren, former ambassador of Israel to the United States. Mr. Ambassador, good to have you back on. It is so good to be back on, John. Thank you. So much going on in the world since uh, the last time we, we talked. And uh, let's start right in your, in your backyard. There were new elections last week in Israel, and it looks like we have a muddied outcome again. Help us walk through the dynamics. What happened in the election and what comes next? Uh, this may take like some, a book the size of the encyclopedia. <laughs> You're probably right. I'll try to do my best. Okay. okay this is our fourth election in, in two years wow. because each round comes out basically a dead tie. And all the elections are about one thing. They're not about the peace process. They're not about Iran. They're about the future of one man, Benjamin Netanyahu. And we, it's not even right and left anymore in this country. It's just, it's pro-BB and anti-BB. Isn't that amazing? And on the anti-BB side, there's left and right and Arabs and Jews, you name it. Uh, and it's coming out dead tie. And the anti-BB forces would have a, a chance of, ch of, of bringing him down if they themselves could agree. But all these heads of these parties, remember, some are right, some are left, some are Arab, have said before the election that they wouldn't sit with the other one. 
So now they actually cannot form a coalition that could reach the magic number of 61 because you got to have 61 seats in Knesset out of 120. Right. That's the slimmest possible majority you can have. If you if, if I were a bet man and I was saying this weeks before the outcome of the election, uh, where all the experts were saying that, that Netanyahu was going to lose, I still put my money on Bibi. And um, for many reasons, not the least of which it's always premature to to eulogize him, always. And um, and he's always going to have a few tricks up his sleeve. He does. He always does. And, because, and, and just the last note is, you know, he's facing three charges of corruption. Right. Uh, if you ask me, I- I'm not impressed by these corruptions. And most of these charges would never even make an American court. Our, our law is actually tougher on politicians. But um, he, he, in, or- he had, in order to appear in court as prime minister, and not have to resign, he has to at least not lose the election. I know that sounds very strange. Let's wrap yeah. your head around this one. Under Israeli law, if a minister or a member of Knesset is indicted, indicted for any crime, he or she has to resign, with one exception, the prime minister. So Netanyahu has to remain the prime minister while his trial goes on, or else have to get out of politics altogether, and have a lot less immunity vis-a-vis the court. So if there's a tie, guess what? Bibi remains prime minister. For another three, four, five months. It's amazing. So all he really has to do is not lose. It just keeps going on. And it just keeps going on. We may go to a fifth round. It'll be very, it'll be very harmful for for our political, um, our for our democ- for our democracy. Now people are becoming um, despondent, uh, losing faith in our system. It's not good. What are the um, the chances? Uh, there doesn't appear to be any chance of a coalition government on either side. So the another election seems to be the most likely scenario. Are there any up and comers? Are there are there any people behind ahead of uh, Netanyahu or on the other side that have uh, the level of popularity he has? I mean, the reason he keeps playing to a draw is he's still pretty popular among his base. So. When you look around, are there any other players to keep an eye on? If we're Americans looking, who's the next Netanyahu? Who's the next big star in Israel? Anyone that you see emerging in the midst of all of this uh, deadlock? Well, let me begin with a strange statistic. Israelis are asked in the poll, who is the candidate most capable of being prime minister? And Netanyahu wins handily. Almost 40% of Israelis think that that Netanyahu is is the most qualified to prime, prime minister. But of the 40 percent, half will not vote for him. Wow. Go figure that one out. <laughs> and that the, the closest person to him would be someone like Naftali Bennett. Right. Who also has an American background. He only gets he only gets 18 percent, less than half of the support that Bibi gets. Wow. And even fewer people voted for him. So, <laughs> he, he, you know, well, the Netanyahu you know, has uh, 22 seats in Knesset. Uh, uh, Bennett only has seven or eight. So it, it's uh, so the next BB, I got to tell you, honestly, and I worked with this man for many years. And it's not that I don't have my criticism. He's a very difficult act to follow. You know, he was a, a member. He was an officer in Israel's Delta Force. He's a graduate of MIT and Harvard. He is a business person, an economist, a statesman. Um, he is a master politician. He's, he, as an orator, he's one of the world's great orators. You know, go compete with this guy. It's, and, um, it's a tough act to follow. There's no doubt about and it. And even even people who hate him say that. It's yep. a tough act. To That's follow. true. No, that so, is. And then there's one last thing I'm going to say, and that is that to be the prime minister of this country is hands down the hardest job in the world. Uh, 
John, I work with presidents, and the U.S. presidency, as hard as it is, is not as hard as the Israeli prime ministership. Uh, you get no vacations, no nights, no weekends. You don't go off play golf in the summer. Right. Um, you're you, on you're, 24-7, aren't you? Night. BB, besides having all those qualifications that I've, I've mentioned to you, is incredibly physically robust. You know, he's only six years younger than Joe Biden. That's amazing. We don't think I'm about not that. I'm going to finish that sentence. Yeah, but you're right. Yeah. Now he is. He's obviously a very, uh, still a, a very uh, robust and, and moving and intellectually fast on his feet. And, um, you know, a figure that is revered around the world, whether you like him or don't like him, you 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 respect his uh, his long tenure in service. We, um, as Israel works through that, we've had our own election here in the United States, and we now have President Joe Biden. And there's been a sea change on domestic policy, particularly. Uh, and uh, we see that day in and day out. How do you handicap the first 60, 70 days of the Biden presidency as it relates to foreign policy, to the Middle East, to Israel specifically? So far, no change. Uh, we were braced for a much far more far-reaching change, particularly on the Iranian issue, because both uh, President-elect Biden and his uh, foreign policy staff were indicating very publicly that they intended to renew the Iran nuclear deal, uh, which from Israel's perspective was was a catastrophe, was a strategic threat. Right. So we're all braced for that. Um, and so far, it hasn't happened. I think it hasn't happened because of the Iranians. They keep on upping the ante. Um, they keep on, you know, they, they are escalating while the United States is de-escalating. Right. Um, and I don't know, you know, who's going to blink first or the Iranians just may pull a, an end run and, and strike a deal with the Chinese, which is apparently what has happened, a $400 billion deal uh, with the Chinese. Um, so right now that hasn't happened. On the Palestinian level, uh, the, the, the Biden administration was poised to go back and renew a lot of the Obama presidency's policies. Um, there have been some some symbolic gestures like uh, to reopen the Palestinian embassy in, uh, in Washington or to renew some of the funding for Palestinian agencies like UNRWA. Um, and we were very happy when that embassy was closed in Washington. We were happy when the United States cut off its funding. Sure. We think UNRWA is a terrible organization uh, that perpetuates the, the conflict. Um, but actually on the ground, almost nothing. I think we're going to have to, there, there's, Palestinians are in the throes of their own elections. We are in our election turmoil, uh, not a clear leadership on either side, and frankly, haven't been involved in the peace process uh, since 1993, when I was an advisor to Rabin. Um, I don't see the Palestinians ever coming to the table and negotiating for statehood. Um, they, they just don't have it. But okay, having said that, uh, really, there's no there there today. There's no one to negotiate with. I, I would just say that if Israel tries to um, initiate any large-scale building projects um, in Judea and Samaria, in East Jerusalem, uh, I think then we'll hear a more vocal response from this administration. That'll be a, a, a first trigger for potential, yeah, for there. When you look at Secretary of State Blinken, what, uh, how has the relationship been? What, what is your view of his stewardship of, of global policy as, as America's chief diplomat? Well, I'm in a rather uh, unique position, um, and I'm not trying to, to blow my own horn here. Um, not, neither Joe Biden nor Tony Blinken uh, nor Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, right. were very well known in this country, but I know them very well. Yes. Um, it was not well known that during my time in Washington, uh, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton basically boycotted the Israeli embassy. Really? And uh, Yes. 
and uh, wouldn't return my phone calls. And so my point of contact with the Obama administration was Joe Biden. And I, I, I logged a lot of hours with him. And um, I was very close to Tony Blinken, uh, Jake Sullivan uh, as well. He was policy planning. Um, and I also know him from academic world. Sure. Um, so right? yeah. I know these individuals personally. They're all pro-Israel, John. Pro-Israel in the sense that they're committed to, the, to our security, to the alliance. Uh, they disagree with us on the peace process. They disagree with us uh, on Iran. But other than that, you know, clearly they are not the Trump administration, but they're also not the Obama administration. And the Obama administration was deeply ideological. Uh, it came out swinging at us from day one. <laughs> and, and these people are not going to come out swinging with us. They got other things to do, do with China, Russia, with domestic policy, as you mentioned. The one point of concern I have, and I'm saying this for the first time publicly, so brace yourself. Okay. <laughs> is that the the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, yeah. um, which wants to rush ahead and, and renew the JCPOA, which wants to pressure Israel, and, and even using the aid to pressure Israel, was very quiet during the Obama years. Um, they were afraid of Obama and, uh, and much smaller during the Obama years. Now the progressive wing of the, of the Democratic Party is much, much and I don't think they're afraid of this administration. So I think that that their agenda and the uh, and pressure to apply their agenda uh, certainly will be much greater during this administration than it was uh, from 2009 to 2016. Yeah, that is really the left flank. I mean, I've, I've had people say to me the the most important hardware that uh, Joe Biden has to wear is his breastplate backwards because most of the incoming is coming from behind his line, not not from the other side. And um, I, I think it's just, I think it's just beginning. Yeah, I think you're right. I, it, was, it was interesting a couple of weeks ago after a, a, an Iranian-backed uh, militia fired missiles at a U.S. base in Iraq. Right. Right. The the Biden administration responded by blowing up what was essentially an empty empty building in, in Syria. Right. And I and from Israel we were shocked to see the backlash. Uh, from the Democrats to a, a military operation that no one would have said boo about during the Obama years. Oh, not at all. Yeah. And in yeah. fact, it's being used as a justification to roll back the war powers uh, granted, you know, from 19, uh, sorry, from 2002. So it is pretty remarkable that that, you know, and it was a pretty innocuous, it was a symbolic military strike is really all it was. And yet, um, yeah. When you look at the left side of the party, um, you know, I remember going back to 1992 being in New York City when Bill Clinton Al Gore accepted the nomination at the DNC convention. And there was a large American Israeli contingent that was part of the Clinton Gore coalition. Obviously, uh, the very important peace talks in 1993 that you were such an instrumental part of. Um, uh, the Democratic Party has really evolved, and Joe Biden is sort of a vestige of that. 80s, 90s Democratic Party, but the new Democratic Party seems to have a very different view of Israel. How does Israel and the Middle East navigate this sort of changing of the guard? Because it's inevitable. After Biden, there isn't a lot of people holding the line on, on issues key to Israel. Kamala Harris doesn't seem to be a person who's been particularly uh, pro-Israel in her career. Maybe I'm being unfair to her, but that next generation, how does Israel brace for that? How does the world brace for that? Well, let me say that I, I, I accompanied um, Vice President, uh, then Senator uh, Kamala Harris to Israel. And, and I'm, I'm persuaded that she, as like Joe Biden, like Tony Blinken, like Jake Sullivan, are, are commi is committed to our security and to the alliance. And, and yes, hear. we're going to disagree on the Palestinians and the Iranians. Right. The same deal. Um, 
our problem is much broader. And, I, and our problem did not begin with Joe Biden, it, it, it maybe with Trump, and it really certainly with Obama, is that as different as these administrations are, they, they tend to have one thing in common that impacts us. And that is Americans um, are tired of being the policemen of the world. Yep. That's definitely uh, a dynamic. Are, are not in a position to project major military power almost anywhere in the world, almost under any circumstances. Can you imagine a situation where the United States would do what it did in 2003 right. and send 600,000 soldiers <laughs> to, to the Middle East or anywhere? Right. Um, now, uh, as one of the many countries in the world that depend on America's willingness and ability to project military power, that is a, a profound conclusion. And that that is borders on a sea change. And I know we're going to talk a little about the Abraham Accords, uh, Israel's peace deals with the uh, United Arab Emirates, right. Bahrain, Sudan and Morocco. One of the big, you know, adhesive factors in making that alliance is the withdrawal of the United States from our region. We've got to hang together or we'll hang separately as it goes. Yeah. Right. Right. And uh, and we're facing the same challenges. We're facing the challenges from Iran. Uh, we're also facing challenges from Islamic extremists backed by Turkey. Um, and um, and if America's not here, what do we got? We've got Russia. And we don't want Russia. Right. How big a, a role do you see China playing in the region? They seem like they're scratching their finger into the region a little bit more. Um, and they obviously have no problem projecting military power across the globe with their growing uh, sign of military, I don't want to call it aggression, but military display of power. Uh, does China become a player in the region in the, in the near future? Well, I wish it was just scratching a finger. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. <laughs> it's yes. like a fist. Yeah. Um, and China's already a power. How is it a power? They have built on the Horn of Africa at the entrance of the Red Sea, you know, bordering you know half the Gulf states, Israel and Sudan and Egypt. Right. They built the largest military naval base in Africa. Right, by the way, next to an American military base, and it's bigger. Wow. So you could say militarily they're controlling that entrance. They are poised to build two ports on the Persian Gulf. They are here. They are rebuilding our two major ports of Haifa and Ashdod. And where I'm talking to you, I'm in Jaffa. About 100 yards from here, they're building Tel Aviv's subway system. Wow. So the Chinese are here. And, and if you ask me, China will be involved in rebuilding Syria. Because no other country is going to be capable of doing it. You know, the, the Russians don't have the money. The Iranians right. not going to do it. Uh, China could do it and do it quickly. Yep, they could. Um, the, the UN bill for rebuilding Syria stands at a minimum $250 billion. Wow. And so if China rebuilds Syria, they are a Middle Eastern power. Yep. They have Syria. a stronghold for decades to come. Yep. Right in the center of the Middle East. Yeah, that's a part, you know, I try, we try very hard in this podcast to educate that the Chinese patient's approach to foreign power, to military power, to foreign uh, diplomacy is really beginning to pay dividends. You know, 10, 20 years ago, we were ignoring it here in the United States saying, ah, don't worry about them. But they have uh, at every region, at every opportunity, they have strengthened their position in the world. And I don't, I'm not sure Americans um, have fully appreciated that. And it's, it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about them using Syria and the other place, any of the the ports and other things that they're doing, they're patient and smart, and uh, they move their agenda along far quicker than we than we appreciate. The Abraham Accords they, they operate they operate in a different way than the West operates. They yeah, do classically the West comes in with with an army, and then later after that the businessmen work come in. Right. 
The Chinese do it the other way. They bring the businessmen in first. Right. <laughs> like they did in Africa. Gain their economic foothold first, right? Yep. It, it, very smart. Yeah. Um, they have built 35 ports around the world. Wow. They wow. have a, a multi-trillion dollar belt and road system that will all roads will lead to China. Yep. So um, it puts a, a, a very pro-Western, pro-American country like Israel in a difficult situation. Yeah, it, it really does. It uh, when each of, uh, when we look at the region, I just don't. I think people won't realize until they wake up one day and realize just how more influential China is in in this Middle East region. The Abraham Accords. Uh, you you did such a great job of talking about the what created that impetus. And I, you're right. America's loss of appetite for being the world policeman for being involved in conflict has had a profound effect diplomatically, but. Uh, with the Abraham Accords, do you see the Biden administration standing behind and trying to grow those, stand behind them, but keep a status quo? Uh, what is the likely dynamic? How, how do the Abraham Accords expend out here? If, if there's a, if you drop your, your pebble in the water, the first concentric ring is out there. What's the next ring in, in the Abraham Accords movement? Well, I would expect the Biden administration will stand behind them and maintain the status quo. Um, you know, the natural inclination of any new administration is not to invest too heavily in a previous administration's accomplishments. Right. So um, th th also, it's a different approach to the Palestinian issue. They would like to bring the Palestinian issue you know, more front and center. It was it was by moving it out of front and center that President Trump was able to get these uh, other deals in place. Agreement. Yeah. Um, uh, but I think, you know, the, the many countries could be in line uh, to be the next countries to, to join the accords. It could be a country like Oman. Um, I would hope the Kuwaitis would join, uh, but of course the, the 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 jewel in the crown will be Saudi Arabia, right? And uh, and that that would be a huge. Basically, we have many many different types of relationships with Saudi Arabia, um, but it's not formal. Um, when I got into the the elevator in Washington with a Saudi ambassador by you know, a couple times by mistake, he's now the foreign <laughs> minister. He would John. He would look through me as if I was made of glass. Isn't that amazing. amazing. I'm not just not there. Yeah. And, you know, because he was instructed to do that. Right. But um, I don't know if he'd do it today. That's a great point. Yeah. I mean, Saudi Arabia is in such a, a moment of transition and uh, it had fairly good inroads into the Trump administration. It has a pretty cool, uh, maybe frosty is too strong a word, but a, a, a much cooler relationship with the Biden administration. So finding other friends in the region is, is probably more important to them. Do you see any signs of, of Saudi overtures? I mean, obviously, there, we, we talked last time here on the show, I was so amazed, but I had a lot of reaction to it about all the economic things that just were set in motion with the, with the first deals. But uh, do you see any overtures, implied overtures that, that Saudi Arabia may be making to Israel right now? Many, many. Netanyahu um, um, reportedly met, met with the ground prince already. He was supposed to have met with him uh, about two weeks ago. Right. Canceled right. last minute. Um, so, the, so leaders are meeting, um, uh, our airplanes can fly over Saudi airspace. It's amazing. You know, That's a big a, deal. an airplane with the star of David on it can fly through our Saudi airplanes. You know, who, who would have thought, yeah. um, amazing moment. Israelis are doing business with the Gulf and any Israeli, any Gulf businessman will tell you that, that pretty much everything that goes on there goes on with, with, with at least Saudi knowledge, if not explicit right. approval. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, and that's fascinating. So we're doing a lot of business with the Saudis, albeit not directly. 
that's a um, that's a remarkable dynamic. And if you just think back from 20 years ago, almost unthinkable 20 years ago, but it's a very real dynamic. The GCC seems to be a little bit more um, functional again. Some of the uh, hard feelings that were there for a while seem to have been set aside. Is that another potential economic and, and collaboration engine that Israel uh, can engage? Well, you know, we have a have an ambivalent relationship with the Qataris. Right. Um, like, for example, in Washington, if the Saudi ambassador looked directly through me, the Qatari ambassador would sit down and, and, and chat with me. Um, and we, co we cooperate with the Kuwaitis, with the uh, Qataris in, in bringing cash into Gaza. Um, they're all different things we do with the Kuwaitis, at the, at the Qataris. But at the same time, um, you know, they are the principal backers uh, of Hamas. Um, they are, you know, Al Jazeera makes everybody's life miserable uh <laughs> so there's gonna there's gonna be a, they make the saudi's life miserable sure. probably even more uh than it makes ours we're just used to it uh the saudis aren't but um yes <laughs> i think funny. That it's true we have to we, we just we'd have to have more proof yeah that qatar is going to uh going to play a more productive role right. uh, in our yeah, they've been, uh, uh, I don't want to say the odd man out, but certainly triangulating the region uh, much more than than others who have moved forward to, to try to bring stability. Um, I want to go to you personally, because I'm a huge fan of, of your literary work, both your fiction and your nonfiction. And I've been told that with all the time in the pandemic, you have yet a new book coming out to all who call in truth, a novel. Tell us about what that's about and uh, what inspired you to do it. Okay. Well, what it's about is is not what it's about. It's about because <laughs> it, I'm going to put you to sleep if I tell you what it's about. It's um it's it's about a, a junior high school uh, guidance counselor, right. a football coach, baseball coach, in a suburban community in 1972. Wow. Okay, that's an interesting that's setting. Okay, it's an interesting setting. It is about betrayal. Yep. Um, it is about heartbreak, and it is about murder. Wow. And uh, the central plot is about a, a gruesome murder that takes place um, in the family of one of this uh, one of this teacher's students. And it's about his relationship with that student's mother. And it gets very, very complicated. And of course, I'm drawing on my own background. I grew up in a community like this and the characters are composite of characters of, of people I knew and grew up with. Right. Um, and it's about, in, in, a, in a way, it's about a disappeared world, a world that has no, is no longer with us, a vanished world. But there's so much about 1972. You know, I have no idea how old you are, but. <laughs> I was five in 1972. Yes, I was, I was uh, yep, I'm uh, 54 now. And... So I, yeah, I could, uh, I have vague re recollections of 1972. <laughs> it was a period of great political instability. In it sure was. And fear and fear, bombs going off in federal office buildings, right? massive you know, shootings on campuses, um, massive protests. And um, there is something about that particular era that evokes our present time. It does, doesn't it? And, and people who read the book will say, ah, this looks familiar. A reminder that history sometimes does repeat itself. It's um, that's a, a valuable. Maybe the good news is that, you know, we, we got beyond 1972. We sure did. And and so that, you know, those people who are the doomsayers here, and this is America's finished. Uh, it's important to remember that these these things are largely cyclical. And yes, there can be very difficult times. But um, it, it was it was it was very enjoyable for me to go back. Uh, sometimes a little painful, 
to that world and try to recreate a world that, again, has, has vanished, uh, but also sounds very familiar to us. Yeah, yeah f- fascinating. Well, uh, that comes out, what, May, uh, May of this year? May correct? 11th. Outstanding. Well, everyone, get ready for that book to all who call in truth by the one and only Michael Oren, the great ambassador of Israel to the United States. Michael, I thank you for all you do, sir, to help us understand the region. I, I feel like every time I get done having a conversation with you, I feel smarter and I have a better sense. And I'm also, you know, there's something, in whether it's your writings or, or your interviews or your approach to foreign policy, you have an optimism that I think is at the core of American optimism. We need more of that. We seem to be a little more pessimistic and grumpy and downtrodden the last few years, but you always bring out an optimistic view of the world. And it's always inspiring, particularly in a, in a country that has a lot of pessimism right now. So I want to thank you for that personally. I just, just a final note, and it's always a delight to talk to, truly a delight. Um, you can't be a, an historian with a historian's eye view of the past and not be an optimist. That's so true. And uh, whether it's this country that that arose out of the Holocaust and is today a, a major world power in just about every field, um, to the United States, which which went through a, a brutal civil war, so many upheavals, some of them in my lifetime, um, and you know, for all the divisions within America today, to my mind, uh, whether it be the the racial situation about whether gender rights. You can't compare it today to what it was 100 years ago. No, not even 25 so, years ago, man. And, and, as, and as, as Martin Luther King said, you know, the pendulum of history, the arc of history tends toward justice. It does. Um, I believe in that. Well, uh, your, your writings, your interviews, your extraordinary body of work as a diplomat and a, and a, a wonderful government man really shine through in that. I want to thank you for that and uh, look forward to the next time having on. By then, your book will be Anytime. out. Hopefully, we'll, we'll be able to chat <laughs> it again. It doesn't have to be a book. But thank you very much. Absolutely. Well, we're, we're so grateful. All right, folks, a lot to chew on. China in the Middle East, the Abraham Accords, where Joe Biden takes us. What an interview. Great special thanks to Michael Oren. We're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the day. Hey, folks, it's John Solomon here. Today, I want to shine a light on AMAC, an organization who's dedicated to America's seniors, but is vital for conservatives of all ages. AMAC stands out by not only advocating for senior issues, but also by pushing for conservative values that affect us all. By joining, you're not just supporting our senior citizens, you're part of a movement defending the freedoms that made this country great and to ensure that we secure our nation's future. Plus, membership brings you exclusive benefits like discounts on travel, dining, and entertainment, and of course, special insurance rates, one of the things I like. Regardless of your age, if you're driven to preserve freedom, AMAC welcomes you. This is about uniting youthful vigor with the wisdom of experience and our quest to keep this country great. Sign up now for amac.us slash justnews. And for a limited time, you get a free gift membership for someone else who shares your love for our great nation. Don't miss out on this chance to make a difference from AMAC. Join today at amac.us slash justnews. That's amac.us slash justnews and extend the invitation to a friend or family member for free. What a great opportunity. Folks, if you get your wallet stolen or your cell phone or your car, we know what it is. It's old-fashioned theft. It's crime. We know it. 
Criminals now have a new way to steal our most valuable asset, our homes. Older Americans are most vulnerable to these types of thefts, and that's because they more often own their homes outright. An 88-year-old Florida woman recently discovered that scammers forged her signature, created a fake deed to her home, and then took her property. Those who buy a property from a deed theft scammer often become victims as well. What can you do to protect yourself? It's simple. My good friends at Home Title Lock provide the premier detection technology to protect your home and its title. The instant they detect an activity or something suspicious, they mobilize to help shut it down. We won't know a thief took us off our title until it's too late. That's why Title Lock jumps into action right away. The titles to all our homes are easily found online. A criminal or renter, even a family member, can simply forge your signature on a home sale form. Then he or she refiles as the new owner and bam, your home is not in your name and all of a sudden debts are being taken out against it. That's why Home Title Lock is my choice. Find out for free when you use my code JUSTNEWS at sign up. You'll get a free comprehensive scan of your home's title and 30 days of legendary home title lock protection free. So go to hometitlelock.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's the promo code JUSTNEWS at hometitlelock.com. Go there today. All right, folks, that wraps things up for the day. Wow, what a day. Hunter Biden indicted Ukrainian oligarchs. Middle East peace, China in the Syrian region. Oh my gosh, did that overload you? It certainly did me, but we learned so much. And part of the reason we do this podcast is to compel all of us to get facts that make us think, that challenge us to see beyond just the daily tricky track that we're all caught in, trying to make ends meet, making life work, to remind us that there's a bigger picture. And one of the places that we often don't focus enough on is the Middle East. It is changing before our eyes American policy, Biden policy, the Abraham Accords have all changed the dynamics in the region, a possible return to the negotiating table with Iran, uh, the Palestinian crisis, so many different things. But it's not the same Middle East of five years ago, 10 years ago, certainly not the same Middle East of 1993, when a young Michael Oren working alongside of the Israeli prime minister engaged in those historic conversations between Arafat and Israel, the Palestinians in Israel, um, different pressure points, China more involved, Russia more involved, America's influence in the region declining somewhat. Those are the sort of issues. When you put all that on the table, we give you the facts. We let you make up your mind because that's what we do. Now, every so often people ask me, what can I do to help just the news? I like John Solomon reports the podcast. How can I support it? And the answer is every one of the advertisers you just heard from in the commercial break, support just the news, support uh, John Solomon reports. We are so grateful. They have great products, great services, great customer service. These are all around amazing people, amazing companies. And so I'm hoping that you'll go out and support them because when you support them, you're indirectly supporting us. You're helping us. Uh, and a vote for their product, a vote for their service is a vote for Just the News and John Solomon Reports. And one of those folks that that um, have been a great supporter, and I'm so glad they're in the family, is the Birch Gold Group. And I keep mentioning their product because I didn't know about this until I met them, that you can actually uh, move your IRA, your 401k under many circumstances into precious metals to give it stability uh, because gold and silver have always been um, a good performing product. And right now we're heading into this era, inflation, concerns about 
the economy post COVID. Uh, and you know, if you've been working hard, like I have been on my retirement, on our IRA, on all of our things, you start to get a little heartburn thinking about what may, what may lay, ahead, lay ahead. And, um, and I think that at the end of the day, uh, these guys have a product that you might not know about. If you want to diversify your savings with gold and silver, right now is the perfect time. And uh, according to the Birch Gold Group, there's a little known IRS tax law. You can move your IRA or your eligible 401k into an IRA backed by physical gold and silver. Pretty safe stuff, smart stuff. Now, how are you going to do this? Well, you're going to go to birchgold.com and you're going to request a free info kit on physical precious metals and see if diversifying into gold makes some sense for your retirement plans, for your savings, give you some added protection in this time of uncertainty, economic uncertainty. Uh, you can learn all of the uh, legal ways to do this, how you move your 401k or IRA out of a volatile stock market. And you can get this at no cost. There's no obligation. You just get this kit by going to birchgold.com slash just news. Let me give you that again. Birch, B-I-R-C-H, gold.com slash just news. You download the kit for a limited time. You can see how you qualify for up to $10,000 in precious metals on a purchase. That's a pretty great deal. There's zero cost to check it out. Zero obligation to check it out. Get the book, uh, the booklet, learn about it. I was fascinated, blown away by this as a potential investment option. You could be too. What a great way to go about doing this. Uh, also, I'm told this is pretty cool, in celebration of their 10,000th customer. Just think about that. They've had 10,000 customers. You want a trusted company? You want a company that had 10,000 customers. Birch Gold Group is giving customers a free home safe from the hollow haul-in safe, haul safe company. You have to make a qualified purchase, but that's just another gift, another benefit for being in the Just the News Club and the John Solomon Reports audience. Uh, we're so grateful for our friends. So remember, go to birchgold.com. Birch is spelled B-I-R-C-H gold.com. Go to slash news and check out this incredible offer, the free book at the pamphlet. No obligation. You learn. You may just make a really good investment decision after you learn. These guys at Birch are top notch. That's why they've had 10,000 customers. We love them and they support this podcast. All right, folks, that's going to wrap it up for a day. We'll be back tomorrow with some new guests, some new breaking news, some new exclusives, only from justthenews.com and John Solomon Reports, the podcast. God bless you. God bless this great country as he always has. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out. Higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with
with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends, who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 98 98 right now. 